Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome again to Encounter. We're so glad that you're here with us today. We are in part two of this message series called The Gift. And the idea behind this series is to recognize the practical but also spiritual significance that's behind each of the gifts that the Magi, or sometimes called the the wise men or the kings, brought to Jesus soon after he was born. So really this whole series, all, all three parts in this Advent series is run up to Christmas and our time of preparation comes from these few words here in Matthew chapter 2. Let me read you just verses 10 and 11 where it says, uh, when they saw the star, that's when the Magi, when these wise men saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, remember Jesus was born in a stable, but he eventually moved out of the stable. Like he lived in a house, his parents raised them in a home. And coming to the house, they saw the child, who was probably around two years old by that time, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I have two kids, so we did the baby shower circuit, right? And we received, generously, a ton of gifts from a ton of people. And I am so grateful for every bit that poured in, but I've never received as a gift gold, frankincense, or myrrh for the gifts of my kids. What we did get was diapers, like so many diapers. It was ridiculous, but I'm, again... So incredibly grateful for all of them, especially because a weird thing happened. Uh, as our nursery for the uh, preparation for the birth of our first daughter, um, the nursery like area that we had set aside started to fill up boxes and boxes of these, these diapers. And I'd like walk by the room, you know, and like, wow, this is, you know, this is, this is happening, right? <laughs> this, isn't, uh, this isn't rehearsal. Like it's, it's go time, right? Pretty soon. And, and as I saw these diapers accumulating, it hit me about halfway through, a little over halfway through the pregnancy. I had never changed a diaper before, right? And I'm like, wait a second. That means that the very first diaper that I'm going to change is going to be, at that time I knew, is going to be my daughter's. And I thought in this like kind of weird dad-to-be nesting thing, I didn't know like what my space was, but I'm like, no, no, that can't be right. The first diaper that I see, she deserves better than that, right? I need to get some kind of practice. I need to figure out what I'm doing. I can't practice on my daughter. She deserves better than that. And it's weird to ask your friends or ask some other people, hey, can I change your kid's diaper? I recognize like, how strange that is. So I did the next best thing. I also looked around the room and I saw a couple dozen stuffed animals in the room. And I'm like, let's go. If... If I can diaper a lion, a tiger, a bear, oh my, I'll be able to diaper a baby, no problem, right? So I'm in the nursery and I'm like practicing my skills, you know, one-handed. I don't know what's going to happen with this baby. I heard it's like wild times, right? So I'm trying to do this. My wife passes by, backs up, sees me diapering Simba, and she she goes, stop wasting diapers. We're going to need those. And I'm like, hon, look around the room. There's boxes of these things. We're never going to run out of diapers. Yeah. It's about a weekend. Middle of the night. Boxes are empty. It's a blowout situation. I'm in there. Absolute mess everywhere. I'm running on no sleep. I'm trying to find Simba to steal his diaper. There's a Winnie the Pooh joke in here somewhere. Because it's like, it's a giant mess all over the place. Thinking... Should have saved at least a couple of them, right? We're talking today, this morning, about the gifts that the Magi brought. They didn't bring diapers. And as much as I would love to make this about the spiritual significance that diapers could bring as a gift, 
We're talking today about frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Now, we kicked off the series last week by talking about gold, the gift that the Magi brought. And that one makes sense, right? Like, gold is a gift fit for a king. It's natural. It, it applies. And we said last week, Jesus was a king like no other, right? I mean, Jesus was a king that didn't, that didn't impose his will. Jesus was a king that didn't intrude into our lives. Jesus was a different kind of king that invited us into following and living into his kind of kingdom. He invited us to live in love like he lived and loved. And we said last week, you can opt out of that particular kingdom and his kingship. You can opt out, but you're going to miss out on the presence and the power of God and the purpose of God in your life. You can opt out, but you're going to miss out. He was a king like no other. Next week, we're talking about the gift of myrrh and how these magi, these jokers show up with an embalming fluid to a baby shower. That's going to be a story for another time. But for right now, it's frankincense. Uh, frankincense is a gift that was used with spiritual but also practical applications. Uh, it possessed certain antiseptic, astringent, diuretic, digestive, cetrin, uterine, uterine, therapeutic properties. What do all of those things mean? I have no idea. I'm not a medical professional. I look up stuff on Google and then I report it back to all of you guys. I share that with you just because it kind of made sense. It had some healing, some therapeutic properties. I got, I got antiseptic, that makes sense. Um, sedative for a parents of a young child. I don't know who was taking the frankincense, but everybody needed it. Right? It had certain uh, qualities to it that, that made it a good gift to, to bring for the magic. It was also uh, worth about twice its weight compared to gold. It's valuable. So it, it makes sense on a practical level. And so what I love about the story that God tells throughout the Bible, cover to cover, the whole thing, is that it's really one story. Lots of different authors, but one author behind the whole thing. And I love the intentionality behind it. That God is saying, oh no, no, it's, it's frankincense, it's got some good therapeutic, so, some healing properties, but there's something underneath the surface that makes it just jump off the page for those first readers of Matthew that were picking up on this story. Um, frankincense, they would have recognized the spiritual significance of it. Because it's used uh, a couple dozen times throughout the Bible, and almost every time that frankincense is used outside of this one, it's used in talking about temple worship. Before we read the story today, I, I want us to be aware of a couple of things that were going on. Uh, kind, of, kind of what was in the water, what was in the background of the story. Uh, take us back a very long ways. Take us back all the way to Genesis chapters like one and two, when everything was good. I mean, you know it was good because God said it was good. And this beautiful picture of God dwelling with people, with God spending his time, not in a metaphorical kind of way, but in a literal way, God walked and talked and laughed with the first people, with Adam and Eve. And it's like this beautiful picture of intimacy and harmony and togetherness. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And it lasts for like a chapter and a half. And sin was introduced into the world. The apple scene. One rule, man, one thing I ask. Just don't eat from this apple. And it wasn't just that Adam and Eve ate the apple. It's what it stood for. It's that theft was introduced into the creation. Dishonesty was introduced into the creation. Shame was introduced into the creation. And we have to recognize a part of this story, a part of our story is this recognition that soon after that sin was introduced into the creation, Adam and Eve recognized what was happening. They saw that they were naked and they ran away to hide. And God saw them because he never stopped 
pursuing them and he never stops pursuing us. And he saw them like he sees us and he accommodates them and he accommodates us. And he says, I'm going to help you. I'll cover you. I'll cover your shame, at least temporarily. The story tells us in Genesis 3 that he was covered with an animal skin. I'll cover you, but it's going to cost something. It's going to cost a life. And the people, they kept that pattern, they kept that habit going, and they kind of built on it. After they were sent away from the Garden of Eden, this perfect utopia on earth, heaven on earth, they built a temple. And it was this, this holy space where they could interact, where they could commune with God, but not like all the time. See, what would happen is that on a special day of the year, the Day of Atonement, in a special room in the planet, in the temple, but not just a holy place, the most holy place, a special person, the high priest, would get to go in and would get to offer the sacrifice because he's going to cover us, but it's going to cost something. And he would light incense. Specifically, he would light frankincense. And as the smoke and the smell filled the room, at least in that special room, on that special day, with that special person, it seemed like God, once again, wasn't quite so far off, but he was near. It seemed like at least for that special day, in that special room, for that special moment, God was with us. Or more specifically, him, the person in that room on that special day. And the people would recognize it because they could see the smoke coming out and they could, they could smell frankincense all around and they too would be reminded that maybe God wasn't quite so far off. Now I share this with you just as background information so when you hear this story, some certain things start to pop out because the smoke became a person. Listen to the story from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We read that this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. I thought my, messy, my story was messy that I shared earlier. Listen to this one. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, wink, she was found to be pregnant. See, this is awkward, right? I mean, you could tell this story a hundred different ways, and chances are if you grew up in church for long enough, you maybe have heard this story a hundred different ways. But let's just look it through the eyes of Joseph for just a minute. And he's like watching and prepping, and he's changing the diapers of stuffed animals in the nursery to kind of get ready for this baby. Or he's, he's engaged, he's going to be married. So in this case, the baby's a long distant, a long distant ways off. So what he's doing is he's sending out invitations, he's picking out colors, he's working on the centerpieces. Practically, he's probably not doing any of those things, but she's asking him to do all of these things, and he's putting it off. And then all of a sudden, she starts to, like, grow. And he's like, what? what's going on? She was found to be pregnant. It gets more complicated. It gets more messy through the Holy Spirit. Now, insight into the kind of person Joseph was, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. He was a good, he was a good guy. He was a rule follower. He's probably the firstborn. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. We're talking about the messy situations in life. I shared a messy situation of my own. He's got himself a messy situation. And he does what I think 
all of us have a tendency to do. Remember, these aren't just stories that did happen. They're stories that do happen like over and over. It's just the names and the people change. What Joseph does is what I'm going to... What I'm going to call the Joseph paradox is kind of made up. Google it. Maybe somebody else thought of it already. I don't know. But the Joseph paradox, the Joseph paradox is seeing a mess that's like preventing you uh, from God or preventing you from taking this, whatever it is. The Joseph paradox is seeing a mess and thinking to yourself, well, I need to clean up this mess before I approach God. But the paradox of it is I need God's help to clean up the mess, the Joseph's paradox, right? I got to clean up this mess before I approach God, but I need God's help in order to clean up the mess. And so we go kind of around and around in this cycle. And that's why the story repeats itself. That's why the story repeats itself in my life, where I go through seasons, I go through life, and I'm like, man, I am so stressed out. I've got so much to do. I'm like hanging on to life by my fingernails. I'm guessing there's a few people that can relate to that. I don't know how everything is going to get done. I don't know how everything is going to come together. I got soccer practice over here. I've got piano practice over here. I'm trying to do good, trying to be there for my family. I'm trying to keep work together. I'm trying to do it all. Life is just a mess. I would love to think about spiritual things. I would love to engage with God. I would love to be a more spiritual more centered person. I would love to think about eternal things every once in a while. I want to be that kind of person. I just have to clean up this mess first. Once I fix this thing, then I'll have the capacity to work on this Jesus thing or to work on this God thing. It's the Joseph paradox one more time. Clean up the mess so that I can approach God, but I need God's help to clean up the mess. And we can kind of, we can see this sort of thing play out again and again and again. I talk to people that are either entering a divorce, in a divorce, or just coming out of a divorce, and it's messy. There's lawyers involved. There's financial questions. There's custody issues. It's a a messy situation. And man, it is so easy. It's so easy in that situation to go, ah, Life is such a mess right now. Let me clean this thing up, and then I can approach God, and then I can go to church, and then I can join a small group, and then I can think about Jesus kind of, and then I can open up the word, I can pray again to God. Once I get this thing come, then I can approach God. But what we don't get is that we need God's help in order to clean up the mess. So much of our spiritual lives is this this playing out of this Joseph paradox where we feel like we have to clean up the mess to get to God. But what Joseph didn't realize, what Joseph in no way was banking on, is that God doesn't run away from a mess. Is that God runs straight into it. Is that God sees this guilt. God sees this shame. God sees the, the fear that Joseph had in his eyes, and he ran straight into it. The next line continues in verse 20 of Matthew 1. After Joseph had considered all of this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. God showed up to him and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She was telling the truth. (laughs) She'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. Because he'll save his people from their sins. You see, Joseph, don't run. Joseph, don't hide. 
Don't let this mess keep you from God because Joseph, wherever you run, God is going to chase you. Wherever you hide, God is going to find you in the most compassionate kind of way. God doesn't run away from a mess. We see that when the smoke of frankincense, when the smell became a person embodied in Jesus Christ, God on earth, we see how he ran to the mess again and again. And it's just, it's wild to think about a couple of these things. Like Luke, there's another biblical author, Luke 18, he tells this story about this panhandle of this beggar along the busy highway. And Jesus approaches him and says, what can I do for you? It's such a wild story because when do we see somebody like panhandling alongside a highway and stop and say like, hey, it sounds like you've got a lot of setbacks, a lot of struggles going on. And there's a lot of different reasons and there's a ton of different causes of, of homelessness. You know, and I can see, but your sign is a, little ma- is a little hard to read. So like, what is it that I can do for you? Like, how can I help you, not just for today, but how can I help you permanently? And it's like, man, there's like a mental health component to this. There's a systemic thing to this. There could be a criminal aspect to this thing, an addiction part. Like, I don't know. It's so complicated. It's so messy. And Jesus goes, I'm going, stepping right into it. He doesn't run away from the mess. He steps right into it. Jesus, he does it with tax collectors, the most loathsome people on the planet. And he steps right into the center of it. My favorite story of this thing, I think. Hears about this little girl who's dying or could already be dead. And for a good Jewish guy like Jesus, a rabbi, a religious leader, he's supposed to stay away from dead things. And the man says, But it's my daughter. And Jesus goes, Okay, take me to her. Hold on, Jesus. It's not just anybody's daughter. It's the daughter of a Roman centurion. It's the daughter of your oppressor. It's the daughter of your sworn enemy. But it's somebody's daughter. And on the way to his oppressor's home to help heal and restore that family, on the way, another woman comes to him who's been bleeding for a dozen or so years. A ceremonial, ritually, religious, unclean. It's a whole other story. It's not fair, I know. But she grabs a hold of Jesus and it was supposed to make him unclean clean, but instead of making him unclean, it made her clean, and the bleeding stopped, and she's restored into the community, and then he goes to the home of the Roman centurion and raises the now dead girl to life. We have a Savior who sees the mess and runs right into it. And it's good news. It's good news for me. Because I don't just have a mess. I am a mess. Like I know some of your stories. I don't know all of you. I don't know most of your stories. But give me some grace as I say these words. You don't just have a mess. Like, respectfully, you are a mess. I tell myself in these seasons of chaos that the same lie that I think every adult tells themselves, this week is really, really busy, but next week is going to be better. (laughs) Do you know why next week is never better? (laughs) It's not the calendar. It's not the season of the year. Everywhere I go... (laughs) There I am. 
chaos follows you, if addiction follows you, financial struggles follow you, broken relationships follow you, like a wake behind a boat. Man, listen, it's not just that you have a mess. It's much deeper than that. Oh, we're talking about frankincense, man. We're just talking about some spice in the temple. Where are we going with this mess? Let's finish up the passage. Thank you for asking. Matthew 1, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. Verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It would be a good thought exercise to ask God in your more sober times, those quiet times, what is the mess that is keeping me from approaching God? Just name that thing. And how did Jesus cross it? To be with me. I'm thinking about the perspective of Joseph and I'm going, man, uh, situation was pretty messy. The people were pretty broken. He was pretty afraid. The situation was pretty messy for a long time. People were pretty broken for a long time. People were afraid for a long time, long before Joseph ever came around. In fact, that prophecy that we quoted from, from Isaiah, that was a prophecy that was shared uh, 735 years previous. Sometimes we, we hear the prophecy, and it's a cool story behind the prophecy, actually, because it, it came in a time in history. And we have to remember, Emmanuel, God with us, he steps into the mess. He steps into history. He steps into human history. And so these stories take place on a grand scale. It's a time when the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom were at war, at battling with each other, like siblings, but with armies. They were fighting one another and hurting one another. And it looked like the northern kingdom of Israel was going to win, was going to defeat the southern kingdom. And so the king of the southern kingdom calls in some help. Uh, Ahaz, his name was, and King Ahaz in the southern kingdom uh, goes to the extreme north, this uh, local superpower, the biggest kid on the block, He empties out the treasury in the temple, the gifts of God for the benefit of the people. He empties out the treasury, offers it to the king of Assyria and says, can I get some help? Can I get an assist in this skirmish, this battle that I have going on with the northern kingdom? Assyria says, yeah, absolutely. You paid the price. We'll step in. They step in and absolutely decimate the northern kingdom. God says through the prophet Isaiah, it's time for you to go on time out. Like, there's, there's no other way to do it. Did you see what you just did? Did you see what just happened? Like, you can't be anymore. You can't be a nation anymore. You can't be a kingdom anymore. You lost that privilege. Like, I'm just going to pull away from my hand of blessing of your, from your life for a while. It's going to be like radio silence for a while. But not forever. And so Isaiah says, God is going to give you a sign. When he's about to break radio silence, it's going to be in Isaiah 7, 14. He says to the king that those words that the angel repeated 735 years later, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And he'll call him Emmanuel, 
God is going to step back onto the scene. The smoke and the smell would become a person. The people would light the incense, specifically the frankincense. And as the smoke and the smell filled the room, they would be reminded, God will come again. May we not forget. May we never forget. And God never forgot. The smoke became a person 735 years later. Radio silence was broken with the cry of a baby in a barn in a forgotten place in the world. Isaiah continues his prophecy in verse 9 and he says, For us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, God with us. In our mess. But he's also called the wonderful counselor. You guys know what the, the difference is between like an okay counselor and a wonderful counselor? You kind of snicker, I think, some of you, because you're like, yeah, I, got, I get it. When you show up and, and you show up to the friend um, who's not really like a friend at all, they're just kind of available or they're just kind of there. And you show up and you start like unloading like what your particular mess is. And, and the look in their eye is like detached kind of away, right? Like they hear what's going on on a cognitive level. They understand that you're suffering. That's called pity. And it's not really that helpful. Uh, maybe a good counselor can, can hear what's going on, the messy situation that, that's going on, and they're moved by it. Um, they cognitively understand and emotionally there's something there to offer, And that's called sympathy. But a wonderful counselor, a wonderful counselor, as you're unloading, it's like they have a tear in their eye that starts to like come down their cheek because they not only cognitively understand what you're going for, they're not only moved emotionally by the experience that you're sharing, it's just unspoken or spoken, you get the sense that they get what you ha- are now going through, that, that, that they have somehow found a way to climb down that stairwell into the pit or the hole that you are in, and they're now sitting there with you. And the problem doesn't go away, but at least you're not alone in it. And when you've experienced that, you have experienced a wonderful counselor. And that's Christmas. That's the story that we celebrate. We celebrate this story that God in heaven wasn't content to just shout his love, but to show it on earth. That's the story when God in heaven didn't just stand by in, in heaven and say, it sucks to be you. What he did is show his love and come down, crawl into that hole with all of us. He's not just a distant savior who feels sorry for us. He's a high priest who cares and who understands. The incense, the frankincense that the priest lit, the smoke became a person. And the author of Hebrews wants to draw this so abundantly clearly. And he says in chapter 4, 15, we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. He can empathize with our Every weakness. You think about anything it is that you could possibly go through. Whatever kind of mess that you have experienced. And he gets it. He gets us. He gets you. Experienced a teenage pregnancy. He gets it. Grew up poor. He gets it. 
Have you been mocked? Have you been bullied? Have you been criticized? He gets it. Have you been rejected or felt rejected by the religious establishment? He gets it. Have you been fed up with the tone of politics in the country? He gets it. Have you grieved deeply over the loss of somebody very, very close to you? He gets it. Have you felt betrayal from somebody that you thought that you could trust? He gets it. Have you felt that in this season, God has absolutely abandoned you at the time when you needed him the most? He gets you. He feels that. He crawled down into that hole to be with you. And the promise is that he will not leave you there. The next line of that verse. So let's approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He gets you. He's with you. He's for you. He loves you to death and back again to new life. He's been there. As you leave this place, if I could, I would ask you for one favor. Could you walk in the shoes of another? Because, man, this is a messy world we live in. And there are no easy solutions to so many problems. Find somebody that you're like, I just don't get it. And try. He did this for us so that we wouldn't just be left there, so that we would take it and we would introduce him to somebody else. Extend that grace to one other person this week. And if you're not there yet, just know he gets you. He's been there. I invite you to stand up. Let's do that. Let's approach the throne of grace. By the way, if you're going through something, we've got people, we've got people at the prayer stations and the auditoriums, Fulton Heights, Kenwood. We'd love to pray with you. If you're watching online, send us a message. You're not alone. He gets you. Jesus, you get us in a way that's scary sometimes. You know our hearts. Lord, you know us and you love us. And that's a remarkably rare combination. Jesus, you made a way to approach your throne of grace and mercy. May we not take that for granted. That we get to talk to you, that we get to commune with you. That in one small way, this relationship that was created in the very, very beginning where we could talk to you and walk with you is restored by the grace of Jesus. One day, Lord, it'll be complete. And we'll get to see you once again. Jesus, in your resurrected name, we pray. Amen.
Hey church, it's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.